We finished Ruth last week. Um, I was counting it up this week, and I figured that we have now uh, preached through 15 books. Uh, we're 10 years old. The church is 10 years old, and we have preached through 10 books, 15 books of the Bible. So that means uh, in about another 30 years, I'll have preached the entire book, uh, Bible. So my goal is after these 40 years that I've been here, uh, the first 10, I've preached 15. If I stay at that average, then I should have preached through basically the entire Bible after 40 years. And then I can just, I'm done. Uh, what else do I have to say? So um, anyway, uh, but what we're going to do these, these next couple weeks is uh, look at the ordinances. And so the ordinances, of course, baptism and Lord's Supper. So I'm doing baptism today. That's the left side of the graphic where it's water. Uh, our other pastor, Joe, will do the right side of the graphic, the Lord's Supper, next week. And so uh, I'm going to uh, read from Romans chapter 6 as we get started. Um, so uh, I'm going to also reference Colossians 2 and Galatians 3, but I'm going to start with Opening uh, by reading Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 and then I'll pray. So Galatians, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised um, from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this time where we have come together and... Uh, worshiped you through song. And now, Lord, as we worship you through uh, thinking through your word, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that ultimately, as we understand baptism, that uh, you would point us to the good news of Jesus and help us see how um, the good news of Jesus is our only hope, not just as an unbeliever, but as a believer and how we need the gospel continually daily in our lives. Uh, I pray that you come now and teach all of us, including me, and speak through me so that we can see and understand your word. We can treasure Jesus in our heart and um, see and understand the gospel in a new, fresh way. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a little bit different for me because usually I just pick verses of, the script, of scripture, uh, pick a book and preach through it. And so this is uh, rare. We do this maybe three to four to five times a year, uh, do a topical sermon. Uh, but uh, we wanted to talk through the ordinances these next, these next two weeks, and then we're going to go into the book of James after that. So back, right back into another book. So uh, what is the true church? What is the true church? John Calvin, about 500 years ago, answers this question for us. What is the true church? He says this, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, that means how Jesus started them and wanted them to be, there it is not to be doubted a true church of God exists. So a true church of God is where the word of God is rightly preached. And here at Remedy Church, we believe that means preaching through the word of God, preaching through books, um, and the sacraments are rightly administered. Now, uh, here at Remedy Church, we don't use the word sacrament. We use the word ordinances. You can see there's, uh, Grudem says there's very similar between those two, although there is a little bit of difference uh, depending on how you're thinking and wh- what background that you're coming from. So uh, we prefer the word ordinance here at Remedy Church rather than sacrament because sac- the word sacrament can insinuate, depending on your background, that uh, the Lord's Supper or, the, or baptism is uh, 
conveying salvific grace, as in it's, it's giving grace that actually saves. Like because I'm taking the Lord's Supper, because I'm being baptized, I'm being saved uh, through, the or, through this sacrament. Well, we don't believe that. We don't believe that the ordinances actually uh, convey salvific grace. A grace maybe. A grace maybe, but not salvific grace. So even if the grace is just that you are, uh, you are being blessed by the Lord to remember the good news of the gospel that Christ has done for you. And in a lot of ways, as Baptists, that's what we would say is that uh, it's, a, it's a means of remembrance. Uh, so we prefer the term ordinance. But what are the true ordinances, which I've already said, the, the two, as Calvin would call them, sacraments. We say the two ordinances of the church, Protestants only have two. That's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so this week we're going to talk about baptism and next week the Lord's Supper. So uh, one time when I was in college, uh, I was studying to be in ministry. A friend of mine was driving and we had a, a, another guy named Baker in the, in the back seat. And I went to Charleston Southern, which is in North Charleston. Uh, so we're about at least 30, 40 minutes uh, from, from, where we, from our college. We were all the way in downtown, down by the beach. And it was like, you know, typical college time, good 1230, maybe 1 a.m. Uh, that's just normal, I guess, whenever you're in college. Uh, don't do that anymore. But nevertheless, uh, the Waffle House was good back in college days at 1 a.m., but not anymore, right? So we're driving around and Baker, uh, we're all in ministry. Baker leans up between me and my friend and he goes, hey, he, he had grown up Methodist. He goes, hey, uh, I've never been baptized. So uh, I should be baptized. And so in that moment, Growing up Baptist, growing up thoroughly Baptist, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I hope Baker's a part of a local church where he can go ahead and tell the pastor that he wants to be baptized and that's awesome. You know, I hope I know, know when the baptism is. I'm going to go to it. That's pretty cool. And so he goes, so uh, why don't we, he leans forward, he goes, never been baptized. And all that kind of goes through my mind. And then the next sentence is, why don't we go do it right now? And I just think to myself, no, 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 none of this is coming out loud, right? I'm just thinking, no, we shouldn't do that. And my friend driving goes, sure, let's go. And I'm just thinking, wait a second, you grew up Baptist. What are you talking about, Mr. Driver? You shouldn't be saying that. And so we pull over. And so we go to the ocean and I can't stop it. I mean, what can I do, right? I'm just kind of like Paul holding the coats, you know? And so uh, they they go out to the ocean and uh, I'm standing there holding their sweatshirts and shoes. And I'm like, I guess... Thinking in my head, I guess I'm the witness, because uh, there should be. And so uh, in the middle of the night, like at 1 a.m., in the freezing, and I wasn't going to get in it, because there's, first, I, I feel like it should be part of the church, right? And second is, I don't like cold water. I'm not a fan of cold water whatsoever. And so uh, he, he says, I'm going to baptize you, and he baptizes him in the ocean, and then we go get back in the car, and then we drive back to Charleston Southern. And I'm just thinking, I don't know if that should have happened. I'm not sure. More on that in a second. We'll get back to that scenario and maybe why. But as we're talking about baptism today, I've, I've tried to write down as many aspects of baptism that I think we should talk about. And so I have, I have several. Don't try to write these down. There's a lot. But here's everything I want to talk about when it comes to baptism today. The definition of baptism. What is bab- baptism's meaning? Why should we be baptized? What does the Bible teach about baptism? Is baptism necessary for salvation? How were the people in the New Testament baptized? What does the word baptize even mean? What does Remedy Church believe about baptism? So what's our personal church conviction? Uh, How can we see the gospel in baptism? Maybe one of the most important parts. Uh, Who should be baptized? Pado versus credo. Infants versus adults. Um, Who should be baptized? How should we baptize? Immersion versus sprinkle. Um, How should... And just said that, when should we, bab- we be baptized? Right at salvation or waiting a little while? What is the effect of baptism? What does it actually do? 
Uh, what are some of the key scriptures on baptism? And should you be baptized for membership? That's all. That's all I could think of. If you have more, certainly let me know and I'll, I'll try to answer those. But those are the, the things I'm going to try to talk about when it comes to baptism today so that uh, we can have a thorough understanding of what it means to be baptized. And as you're, as you're he- listening today, so here's, here's the goal. Um, if you've been baptized, let this sermon refresh your soul as you remember the good news of Jesus and that you've been baptized and what he's done for you and everything that's symbolic about baptism. If you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized by immersion after faith, let this sermon be the thing by the power of the Holy Spirit that persuades you that you should be. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian today. Uh, so anyway, baptism's definition. What is, this is, comes from a, uh, an abstract of principles from the uh, Southern Baptist. It says this, uh, baptism is an ordinance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So something that Jesus started, obligatory or something that every a believer should feel obligated to do, wherein he is immersed in the water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as a sign of his fellowship with the death and resurrection of Jesus and his remission or forgiveness of sins and giving him upself to God and then to live and walk in newness of life. And it's a prerequisite to church fellowship or prerequisite to church membership. So you must be baptized in order to become a member and a prerequisite to participation in the Lord's Supper. You should be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper. Um, so that's, that's a kind of a big, broad uh, definition. We're going to talk about several of those things as we, as we go through here. So some general information. What is baptism's meaning? Mainly, the meaning of baptism is publicly uh, putting on display to the church that you have now been united with Christ. Now, you've already been united with Christ before you're baptized. But when you are baptized, it's a public display to the church that you have been united with Christ. As Romans chapter 6, as I read, says this, by no means, what shall we say? Shall we continue to great sin? By no means. How can one who still, uh, who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might... We might too walk in newness of life. In other words, so baptism is symbolic of your union with Christ in that whenever you are being buried, it's symbolic of the fact before you became a Christian that you were buried in sin and you were, you were hopeless. And then Christ came and made you alive. So it's baptism symbolic of the fact that you were dead in your sins beforehand. And then when, whenever you believe in Christ and you're washed of your sins and you are now raised in newness of life, you come out of the water symbolically showing what has already spiritually happened to you, that you were dead and then made alive. And so that's why baptism is usually done by immersion because you were taken down into the water symbolizing the previous life that you lived. And now you're raised to walk. And now whenever we're raised, we don't just live our own life how we want to. Now we live, as it says, in newness of life. We live in a very new way, showing that we, we are now united with Christ. And so the life we live is not mine anymore. It's not what, what I want to do. Instead, it's what Christ wants me to do. So another text would be Colossians chapter 2. I've already, I've already referenced it will be there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So those who have been converted by Jesus, those who have put their faith in him, have also been transferred into God's kingdom and they've conquered death because they have union with Christ. So as I said, 
One of the key meanings of baptism is union with Christ. The next one is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. I'm going to come back to these uh, and say some more things about them. But Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have also put on Christ. So to be a Christian means to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This, again, is symbolizing your, your union with him. And all who have been immersed into Christ via baptism now belong to Jesus. You've been united with him. So baptism, John Piper says it this way about baptism, t- talking about its meaning. Baptism gets its meaning and its importance from the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our place for our sins and from his triumph over death in the resurrection that guarantees our new and everlasting life. Baptism has meaning and importance only because the death and resurrection of Jesus are infinitely important for our rescue from the wrath of God and our everlasting joy in his glorious presence. And so baptism shows that uh, whenever we are buried, we had the wrath of God upon us and our, our life was hopeless until he came and awakened our hearts or regenerated us. And so coming out of the water, water sorry, is symbolic of the fact that we now have been raised out of death into the power of Christ. So why should we be baptized? Why should we be baptized? Well, there, there'd be a couple reasons. Uh, and if you grew up in Sunday school, you could probably say the answer is Jesus. And that's good. That'd be, that'd be really close, right? Because Jesus, for two reasons. One, Jesus told us to. In the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says this. Um, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the first reason, because Jesus told us to. But the second reason, which we see in Matthew chapter 3, is that Jesus himself was baptized. Given the example. So he himself has done what he calls us to do. Now, when we talk about Matthew 28, the Great Commission, whenever it says, Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't look past this fact that Jesus puts together the fact that one is made a disciple. And once they've been made a disciple... Then they are baptized. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So should somebody be baptized? Uh, so we're going to come back to, uh, I promise, if you have questions, I'm going to answer likely every one of them. But I wanna, there's several things uh, I want to make sure I talk through. You heard the, the big list of questions. The next one was, uh, should you be baptized for membership? Now, there is actually... Um, disagreement even in Baptist circles on this. Uh, Should you be baptized? As in, when I say baptized, I always mean after you've put your faith in Jesus, should you be baptized by immersion as a believer in order to be a member of a church? There are Baptist churches that would say, um, if you were baptized as an infant and then became a Christian, uh, and when I say baptized, I don't mean immersed. Uh, usually you, sh- you don't immerse infants. That's kind of dangerous. Uh, so th- they're sprinkled. Uh, but some Baptist churches would say, if you were baptized um, as an infant, and then you become a Christian, they'll actually admit you into church membership. But here at Remedy Church, we don't do that. We say, you still have to be baptized by immersion after faith. 
Um, and the reason why is this. Grudem says it this way, Wayne Grudem and Systematic. He says, the fact that baptism is an outward sign of entrance into the church, the body of Christ, that's the church universal. So that's every person. The church universal is every person in the world that's a Christian. They're part of the church universal. You're part of, of two churches at once, the church universal and the local. And every Christian should be a part of both. It's not enough for us to be a part of the universal church and not a local expression. We're so always supposed to be, and it's, it's foreign in the mind of any t- New Testament person to, be, to say, I'm just part of the church universal and not the local body. So, so uh, the fact that you've had the outward sign of interest into the church universal, the body of Christ, it would also make it re- appropriate to require that baptism is necessary for someone to be counted as a member of a local church. You should be baptized in order to be a member of a local church. Now, How should we be baptized? In other words, the mode. I just talked about uh, baptism as an infant. Presumably that's sprinkling versus immersion. How should we be baptized? Now, some of you might know this, but the word baptize uh, is a transliterated word. Now, what that means is this. uh, The word in Greek is baptizo. And instead of translated, translating it, we didn't do that. We transliterated it, which means we took the Greek word and we just made it an English word. So uh, we did that with deacon as well. The word in Greek, diakonos, instead of translating it into servant in the Bible, we didn't want to do that. Instead, we just transliterated it and we just made the Greek word an English word, deacon. Diakonos is deacon rather than diakonos translated as servant. Well, baptize is the same thing. Baptize in the Greek is baptizo instead of translating it, which means immerse. We've transliterated it into the Bible and we just put baptize. The reason why, obviously, is theology over the last 2,000 years. If all the Bibles, instead of writing baptize, wrote immerse, half of the denominations wouldn't like that, that version. They would say, I don't like that it says immerse because we don't immerse. So because of the controversy... They just transliterate the word. They just take their Greek word and turn it into an English word. The same thing with deacon. Um, whenever you tell everybody that are deacons, whenever they want power in the church, you're like, actually, you're just a servant. Then in some Baptist churches, that's not, that's not pretty uh, popular. But here at Remedy Church, our deacons, praise the Lord, they know. Deacon means servant. That's what our deacons do is serve. And the elders, the pastors, will be the one that minister the word and lead uh, in Shepherding. But anyway, back to this. So what do we mean when we say, how should you be baptized? The word baptize, as I said, uh, is translated immerse. The word baptizo means to immerse or dip or plunge or to be drowned. Uh, Literally, it can also mean that. So uh, it would be more accurate to say every time you see the word baptize in the Bible that you read immerse. Every time you read the word baptize, you should read the word immerse. So in Romans Uh, chapter 6, whenever you see that, you could read it this way. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? We were buried. Now, buried makes more sense whenever I know that baptizo means immersed. So the the symbolic nature of being taken down into the water, being buried with Christ and being resurrected isn't carried through in a sprinkling. Because you don't, don't actually have the symbolic nature of being buried and resurrected. In immersion, it is. So uh, there is a word for immersion in Greek, rontizo. And every time you see the word baptizo, the writer, the New Testament writer, doesn't put rontizo, sprinkle. Instead, he puts baptizo, immerse. So he, the writers did have a word for sprinkle. 
that they did not use because for the New Testament writers, baptizo means immersion. And so how should one be baptized? They should be baptized by immersion. I'll just give you a couple examples of how we know baptizo in Greek means to go underwater rather than have water sprinkled. Acts 8, he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized or immersed him. And then it says, and then they came up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now you can't come out of the water unless you've been immersed into the water, right? Another place in Matthew 3, this is when Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus was baptized or immersed, immediately he came up out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove. That's the Holy Spirit coming to rest on him. And behold, this is one of the few places in the New Testament where the Trinity is present. You have the Holy Spirit descending, God the Father speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus there. It's one of the few places in the New Testament where you have the entire Trinity present. But coming up out of the water and went up out of the water are just many verses that show us you can't do that unless you've actually been immersed into water. If you've been sprinkled, then you can't come out of it. So, uh, and also, as I've said, the symbolism of Colossians 2 and Romans 2 only makes sense of being buried and resurrected if you talk about immersion. It doesn't make sense of being buried and resurrected if you're talking about being sprinkled. So um, how should one be baptized? They should be baptized by immersion. Uh, Wayne Grudem says it this way, when the candidate for baptism goes down into the water, is it a pi- it's a picture of going down into the grave and being buried. Coming out of the water is then a picture of being raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Baptism thus very clearly pictures death to one's old way of life and rising to a new kind of life. But baptism by sprinkling and pouring simply misses this symbolism. And so how should we be baptized? We should be immersed. One other thing we can say about how is this. Whenever it says in the the Great Commission that how we should be baptized is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, You should be baptized in the Trinity. Uh, As a matter of fact, in the the first early church, whenever they baptized you by immersion in the Trinity, they actually did it forward and they did it three times. They did in the Father and in the Son. They dipped you down three times. We're going to do that on our next one just for fun. So whoever's next, we're going to, I'm not just kidding. I don't have the arm strength to do it three times. But anyway, that's how they used to do it. We just do it once now. Uh, I don't know why they did it three times like that forward, but uh, they did. Anyway, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? Now, What I mean by here is, um, when is it that a person should be baptized? Who is it? Those who have believed in Christ, that's who should be baptized. If you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, you have have expressed that you are a sinner, you know that you're a sinner, you confessed your sin, you've asked for forgiveness in sin, and you are now a believer in Christ Jesus. That is the person that should be baptized. Uh, It's a very clear pattern that after faith is whenever you should be baptized. Every clear instance of baptism in the entire New Testament is a believer after faith has has been put in Jesus. There is not one New Testament example of someone getting baptized before faith. Every single New Testament example is someone being baptized after faith. Here's just a few. Acts 2. Now, as we read through Acts 2, uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says it in several ways. Like getting saved, he says it in several ways. Um, But it's clear that he means that someone put their faith in Christ and then they got baptized. Here it is, Acts 2. Those who received his word, that's 
becoming a, becoming a Christ follower, were baptized, were immersed, and they were added uh, that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, here's another one in Acts 8. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom, then they were baptized, both men and women. So belief, then baptism. And another place in Acts 10, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word and believers from among the circumcision had come with Peter and were amazed because here it is, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them for in their hearing, they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. Clearly we know through New Testament that if someone has received the Holy Spirit, they become a Christian. So they're, they're believers in Christ now. And then Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. They became Christians, then they were baptized. Acts 16, uh, Lydia from Thyatira, she was a seller of purple goods and was a worshiper of God. And here, here it is. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was saved, then she was baptized. And so that's Acts 16. So we see the pattern as we read through the New Testament. Who should be saved? It's the person that's put their faith in Christ Jesus. And after they put their faith in Christ Jesus, then they should be baptized. Uh, these were the New Testament examples that once someone does this, then they're saved. Now, um, baptism shows that we are now counting ourselves as dead. That we are being raised in Christ to live a new way of life. Further, that we've been cleansed by the water. Um, it's a symbolic cleansing. We've already been cleansed spiritually, um, but the water is symbolizing this cleansing or forgiveness of sin. And then, uh, then we're being raised in life. And all these theological truths that have happened to the believer simply haven't happened to the person if they're being baptized, if they haven't professed their faith in Christ. So it only makes sense then uh, with all the symbolic things that are happening in baptism that you wouldn't baptize someone that isn't a Christian yet because those things haven't even happened to them yet. Um, so when should someone be baptized? When should someone be baptized? Now, this is a little bit different than who, because you'd say when, uh, after faith. Yes, we've said that, but when after faith, that's a pretty tricky question. It can get pretty tricky. Um, we've already determined it should be after faith, but when after faith, should it be the exact same day? Should it be that week? Should it be that month? Um, here's the problem. When you read New Testament texts, they basically say, uh, immediately someone is baptized. Immediately someone is baptized. Now, um, Jesus has ordained that baptism and Lord's Supper be ordinance of the church, and the church should do it. So, uh, since we meet on Sundays, uh, you can already guess that if someone's saved on Wednesday, they probably won't get baptized on Thursday, because not everybody's going to come here. So, at least... Once somebody's saved, you should go to the next Sunday. But here, here's the thing. Um, I've, been in, I've been in youth ministry for a long time. Now, I've been pastor for the last 10 years. But before that, since like 1995 or something like that, a long time, uh, I'd been in youth ministry. And as I was in youth ministry at churches and at camps, I had this conversation with lots and lots of people. So they would say, as a teenager to me, they'd be like 15. They'd say, hey, um, so I was baptized. I was saved at age six or seven or eight and baptized because the pastor said, since you're a Christian, you get baptized. But I, looking back now, I really wasn't a Christian. I thought I understood, but I didn't understand anything. And now that I'm a 15-year-old, um, I actually understand the gospel. I just actually, I just got saved like within the last week. I, I actually really am a, Christ, a Christian now. And so it seems to me as I read the Bible that I should be baptized after I'm a Christian. So the other baptism, I wasn't really a Christian. So now I want to be baptized. 
So this is when it gets tricky when you say, when should someone be baptized? Um, should it be the same day? Should it be the same month? Should it be the same year? The New Testament, as you read it, and all indications we have, we, we see examples of adults. We don't have too many examples of children being baptized. And so it's tricky when you start talking about children being baptized because you want to know that they're a believer in Christ. So even in my own family, um, my oldest has been baptized, but the next three after her are Christians They've put their faith in Christ and we've even in our own family delayed it a little bit because they're children. And so we want to make sure that they're believers. I don't tell them that they're not a Christian. You know, we know that you don't have to be baptized in order to go to heaven, right? When Jesus was on the cross and one guy's, you know, scolding him and the other guy's not and saying, like, hey, stop scolding him. He looks at this guy and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy never got baptized, but he went to heaven. So we know you don't have to be baptized in order to go to heaven, but, um, when should they be baptized? When should they be baptized? So uh, in, in response to the phenomenon, especially in ba- you know, Baptist churches in the South, uh, with children, there is a little bit of a delay sometimes. Now, that's just my own family. Uh, we don't impose that. I don't impose that uh, church-wide. Uh, so if you have young children that want to be baptized and you know they're a believer, we'd want to meet with them. And that actually, we'd do that with, with any adult. Uh, when should someone be baptized? Uh, at Remedy Church, when they've professed faith and they've had a chance to meet with Joe or I so that we can talk with them about what it means to be a believer in Christ. They've put their faith in Christ. And this means they don't believe that God exists. The devil believed that God's, God exists, right? So believing that God exists isn't, isn't salvation. It's trusting in Christ's work on the cross for you, for your behalf, in order to be forgiven of your sin, confessing your sin, that you're a sinner, and that your only hope is Christ. Um, That's what we mean by that they put their faith. And so uh, it doesn't have to be like they also have read systematic theology and they understand every single ology there is in theology, right? That's not, it's faith in Christ is what's necessary. So if you are a believer in Christ, then when you should be baptized, the pattern of the New Testament is this, is that it should be immediate as possible after belief in Jesus. And so at Remedy Church, that means, especially as adults, uh, once you become a believer in Christ, you meet with Joe or I, we talk with you. And then uh, we think that at baptism, it's not just a public profession of your faith publicly, but also at Remedy Church, we think there should be a testimony. So like the church should know how you became a Christian. And the way we do that is through a video that just is much easier. So um, when should someone be baptized here at Remedy Church? Right after as immediately as they've been saved uh, and as fast as we can get you in the water. So and we own our own baptismal. Um, so we can, we can do it. As a matter of fact, another church is borrowing it right now. So, uh, and they're doing baptism. So it's pretty awesome. Even though it got stolen from the trailer, we're good now. We have one. So uh, what is the effect? What is the effect of baptism? What I mean by that is you might say, which I just kind of alluded to with the man, on the, uh, the man that was crucified next to Jesus. Um, some would say that baptism actually saves you. Like you need to be baptized in order to be saved. So what is the effect? Does baptism actually regenerate you? Does it actually awaken you to understand that you need to be saved? Or is baptism salvific? Does it convey grace in a salvific way that you're actually saved? Some texts have been used by people to say that baptism itself saves. Now, I don't believe that, right? Trusting in Christ alone for salvation is what saves. That's that's a, a standard kind of Protestant belief. 
Some have used texts like this, Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And even in the second part, we can see that non-belief condemns, therefore belief doesn't condemn. Um, another place is 1 Peter three twenty one. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt, but uh, not as a removal from dirt from the body, but as an appeal for to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. But when you read it, it says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, then you could think to yourself, well, there's two texts that say baptism saves. Now, hermeneutics 101, we, we've talked about this several times. You don't build a theology interpreting one scripture. If one scripture isn't clear, then you move out to the chapter, you move out to the book, and you move out to the New Testament, and you collect all the texts that talk about that, that are even more clear, and you build a theology about something based on the clearer text, not the unclearer text. So when you read that, when it says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, you might think, well, then baptism saves. But it doesn't. Even in, the own t- in that very text, you can see where it says, as an appeal to God for a good conscience where an appeal to God for a good conscience is faith. So you have actually uh, put your faith in Christ. And the only appeal that we can do is faith in Christ. That's the only way we can appeal to God for the good conscience is because we put our faith. So faith occurred first, even in this verse, faith is what saves you and then you're baptized. And so what is the effect of baptism? The effect of baptism, it's not regenerative. Is that the right word? It's not salvific. Instead, it's symbolic. The effect of baptism is that whenever you are baptized, you are symbolically pointing out to everybody that's there. This is what happened to me, you know, two weeks ago or five days ago or whenever it was I got saved. I was dead in my sins. Christ came and awoke me. He regenerated me. And now he has given me new life. He cleansed me from my sin. That's what the water is. And now he's raised me and given me new life. And now the life I walk, the life I live is united with Christ. And he's the one who's living through me. So uh, the effect of baptism is that is a public demonstration of what's happened. So the key uh, text, which I've already referred to, one was Colossians chapter two, uh, that shows us that baptism is for believers only. And it says that you've been buried. This is immersion language. And it says through faith, again, faith is for people that are believers. And so we see baptism is for believers Galatians 3, uh, which we have read before. I'll read it one more time to you. Uh, 26 and 27 says this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have also put on Christ. So baptism signifies that through faith, we have literally put on Christ. Uh, It shows us that we have been clothed with his righteousness. And so uh, those who have been baptized... Since they have put on Christ, this means uh, baptism is only for believers. Unbelievers don't put on Christ. Believers put on Christ. And so it's through our faith that we are uh, saved. And it's by our baptism that we put on display that we've put on Christ. That last one which I've read several times is Romans chapter 6. And baptism expresses our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Romans 6, 3 and 4, which I've read. I'm going to read the word immerse instead of baptized just so we can get the full effect. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by our immersion into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the God the Father, we, all too might, we also too might be raised to walk now in newness of life. And so uh, here baptism expresses our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So when Jesus went into the grave and was dead, that's just like when you go into the water. And when Jesus was raised three days later, that's when you come out of the water. And all that is symbolic of what's happened to you. So Remedy Church here, we are a Baptist church. Uh, and we believe that baptism comes after faith because you've already had a united a union with Christ. And now you're walking in newness of life. So who should do the baptism? Who should, back to my beginning story, who should do it? Should my friend have said, all right, let's walk out to the, to the ocean at midnight and have done it? Um, so the ordinances of the church have been ordained by God that the church should administer those ordinances. So that means it should be done in the church. So Lord's Supper and baptism should be done in the church. So just to give you an example of what I mean here. Um, whenever there's a gathering together of the church, that's when the ordinances should happen. So uh, one time whenever I was at, at a youth camp, uh, we had gone there Monday, it's Monday through Friday. And if you've been to youth camp, you know that God really moves on Thursdays. Like Thursday is God's day. You know, that's whenever everybody is getting saved, right? So we had, we had been to youth camp Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and everybody had kind of had some halfway crying moments. But on Thursday, that's whenever the tears flow, right? And so the, the camp had this kind of tradition after uh, the, the worship service that night that we would walk out to the lake and we would all take the Lord's Supper together. Um, uh, because, you know, God's really moving on Thursdays. And so I remember looking back on that. I didn't know in the moment because I was, I was really young and I didn't understand everything. But I remember looking back on that thinking, wait a second, that was a camp. That wasn't the church. Um, it was the church universal, but the church local is where the ordinance should, should be administered. And so at a camp, it's not the place for them to do the Lord's Supper that should be done in the local church. Here's another example. Um, whenever I, uh, uh, went to Charleston Southern, um, right after I graduated on one of their Wednesday and Thursday nights, they brought in a, a speaker, like really, really awesome dynamic speaker. And he spoke and lots of people got saved and they were all in the moment. And they said, all these people are getting saved. Let's baptize. And so they went down to the university pool right then. Everybody just went down there and they started baptizing like 50 or 60 people that day on a Wednesday night at the university. And you hear that you're like, man, that's awesome. But they're not a church. They're a parachurch. They're a, they're a college ministry. And it's not the college ministry's uh, ordinance to do. So who should do this? Who should do this? The answer is baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of the church and should be therefore administered by the local body of the church within there. And there's a couple reasons I would say that. One, celebration. Whenever my friend at midnight went out to the ocean and got baptized uh, by my other friend while I stood there and held the coats and shoes, uh, when he did that, he withheld the celebration of not only his family, his immediate family, but the actual church that he went to, his actual local body. They didn't get to be there in that moment and celebrate with him. Wow, look at this public profession of faith. We're so excited what God has done. And that, that's, that's a means of grace for us in the local church that whenever someone's baptized, you know, we like, we clap. We're like, yes, God has moved. God has saved this person. Yes, we're excited. And so 
that's one reason. The second reason, and maybe more important, is accountability. So if you do it outside of the local church, you withhold, not meaning, not on purpose, but you withhold the celebration that the local body could have had. The second is the accountability. So whenever you publicly get baptized in your church in front of your people, they now know this person has publicly said that they're a Christian. Now, in America, it's not quite the big deal. Right? We get baptized in America and no one's going to say anything to you. But if you are a Muslim in a predominantly Muslim country and you get baptized and you publicly tell people, I'm a follower of Jesus now, then everybody knows and everybody is holding you to a different level of accountability. And so doing that in the context of your local church provides the church now, because you've publicly done this, a context where they can say, we now know that you're a believer and we can walk alongside you as a brother and sister in Christ and hold you accountable to what it means to be in this church and vice versa. Now that you're a part of that, you can do that with them. And so baptisms and Lord's Supper should be done in the context of the, of the church because this, I think, is the God-ordained means of how the ordinances should happen. Now, uh, how do we see the gospel and baptism. Well, I've hinted towards it several times, uh, but whenever I was at Charleston Southern, um, after I graduated, I worked there um, for three years or so. I worked in the admissions office, and so whenever I worked in the admissions office, it's the it's the we want you to come to Charleston Southern. Um, part of Charleston Southern. So I would go out and whatever. So one day this little piece of paper came across my desk that says, Hey, Charleston Southern is a place where the SAT is administered. Do you want to proctor the SAT? Uh, I'm like, yeah. And I'm signing up my wife. (laughs) We both, you get like 80 bucks just to sit in a room for a couple hours and watch the kids take the SAT and kind of freak out themselves like, Oh no, I got to do something. And then, uh, you get 80 bucks and then you're out of there by by noon. Sounds good to me. So I sign up myself and I sign SATs in my head because my, my, fifth, my, my oldest just turned 15, which means we're looking at the SATs and we're also talking about driving. And so I'm like in this new stage to where I'm all nervous now. So uh, if you see me at some points just kind of staring blankly at walls, it's because I have a 15-year-old and it scares me to death. Anyway, so I'm standing there. I'm sitting there and we're, we're proctoring the SAT. Uh, and so I'm sitting there and all the kids are, you know, they have their, their levels of freak out from my pencil just broke to my calculator doesn't work to, to whatever. And so I'm sitting there and my job as the proctor is just to kind of walk around the class, make sure that nobody's cheating. Make sure, and you can't really cheat on the SAT because no one takes the same thing at the same time anyway. But just make sure they're all doing it. So anyway, so I'm sitting there and I notice that uh, there's this girl maybe about halfway down, uh, who had completely fallen. We had just started the section and we're five minutes in into this 45 minute section and she had completely fallen asleep, like dead gone. Now, if you know anything about the SAT, uh, whenever you fall asleep in the SAT, uh, you, once the time's over, then you don't get to finish that section. And so because of that, her falling asleep, her life trajectory was now one of absolute peril. So because she's fallen asleep, she's going to fail the SAT. She's never going to get into college. She's going to fail life. And now her whole life is going to be an absolute mess disaster because she's fallen asleep in the SAT. And so this is what I do. Uh, she's, I'm going to use this as her kind of her desk. And so I'm walking up and down and I'm pretty sure she's asleep. And I'll walk by and I see that she's asleep. And so I do this little number to her desk. I don't want to, I don't want to make it a big deal. So I just kind of do this right here. 
like just tap it with my leg, right? And so when I tap it with my leg, she like wakes up and she's like, oh, I'm taking the SAT. And then she gets back in there and she starts taking the, you know, and she finishes. And then because she finished the SAT, she made it a perfect score and she got into Harvard. And then she went on to be the most successful, I'm sure, person out of Charleston ever. So here's what I'm, here's my point, right? All because I came and quickened her heart and awakened her to not sleep, to drive into a life of peril, but instead be awakened and therefore have a life of blessing. In the same way, we were also dead in our sins. And Jesus came, and this is not in the exact same way, obviously, right? But I'm using a story to try to make a point. That in the same way, we were dead, hopeless, and going to live a life of peril forever. Our future was absolutely sealed with, with condemnation forever. But Jesus came and pulled us out of the slumber. Out of sheer grace did I go and awaken her. I didn't have to. I could have let her sleep, right? But just like Jesus, way more like Jesus, he came and awake. He didn't have to, but he awakened our hearts and brought us out of the slumber and then gave us this amazing thing called the gift of faith, put it inside of us. And now we have this faith to where we say, yes, Jesus, I don't want to go down a path of condemnation and sin forever. Instead, I want to put all my faith in you. Forgive me of all my sin. And then he sets us on a path towards righteousness and blessing forever. This is what baptism is symbolic of, that we were dead, completely in our sin, with absolutely no hope, and on a pathway towards destruction. And that baptism gets its meaning because Jesus came and raised us to life. To read this quote one more time, baptism gets its meaning and importance from the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our place. So when you're dead there, Jesus comes and says, my death is now your death. And now my resurrection is now your resurrection. And so whenever we're raised, we're actually raised in the same way that Jesus was raised from the tomb three days later. Think, just think about Jesus' resurrection and the power it had. Our spiritual resurrection is the same. That's unbelievable. And baptism is symbolically putting on display for us to help us understand the importance of what God has done for us in saving us. Baptism has its meaning and importance only because the death and resurrection of Jesus are infinitely important for our rescue from the wrath of God and our everlasting joy in his presence. So baptism shows that we are now counting ourselves as dead and now also counting ourselves as being raised in Christ to live a new life for him and that the water while we were down there cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness and now we've been raised. One, one guy says it this way. His name's Sean Wright. He says, at the point of conversion, the Christian does not only receive what Christ has done for him, he's commanded to commit himself to living under the lordship of Jesus. Now that Christ has saved him, he is to live in obedience to him. Baptism reminds the believer that he's no longer who he used to be. And so he should live now for Christ. He is a new creation who has been raised to walk in newness of life. The old man has been buried and the new man has risen in Christ Jesus. And so if you're a believer in Christ and you've been baptized, think about what the gospel is in baptism. That you were dead and buried on a life towards destruction and Christ Jesus awakened you. If you've been baptized, you have publicly put on display that. So now just remember this. You are raised to walk in newness of life. Every day you are raised to walk in newness of life. Therefore, live this out every single day by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized, 
then be baptized. Come and talk to me after the service. We want to know uh, when you want to get baptized and let's do it. Let's get you baptized. The Lord commands it. The Lord has done it for us as an example. And he wants every single one of you to do it. If you're not a believer in Christ, this is what you need to do. Trust in Christ this morning right now. Be forgiven of all your sin. Be awakened from your slumber. Be awakened from your death. And put your faith in Christ. Be forgiven of all your sin. And live forever with Jesus, your Savior. That's all you need to do. I'm going to pray and we're going to go into our time of the Lord's Supper where we celebrate this amazing work that's happened to us as believers. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy that you've given to us in Christ. We thank you for this gift of baptism that you've given to us so that we can understand more fully what's actually happened to us spiritually. That we were dead in our sins and that Christ Jesus came and awakened us and resurrected us forgave, washed up of our sin and has now put us on a path towards righteousness. Thank you so much for this gift of baptism that we can all receive reminding us of this gospel, this great news of what Jesus has done for us. You are so kind, God. You are so good. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we're going to go into a time of the